Segunda Show. Hi, this is Pamela Adlon, and you're listening to Radio 8-Ball with Andras Jones. To Radio 8 Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. I am your host, Andras Jones, and for today's show, we are tributing the music of Harry Nilsson. And you know, I uh, I was uh, I, we we had a guest who was in here in the last segment. He sang on the beautiful rendition of Perfect Day, and I just thought, we, while he's here, we got to get him in here to talk a little bit and ask a question. Uh, welcome back as the guest, Jordan Zivon. Thank you very much. And uh, what do you think of this so far? Oh, uh, you know, everything Harry to me is, is incredible. I've been, uh, since me and my arrow, when I heard that as a young child, I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever heard in my life, and... I think I've probably written 30 Harry Nielsen songs that I realized that I couldn't use because they weren't mine. <laughs> but I just put that, like, you know, the big seven chords in it and the... I'm like, no, okay. So I've written 30 Paul Williams songs and 30 Harry Nielsen songs. I can't use any of them. Um, but I guess the question that that I would ask the universe is that I know that. Oh wait, a, we're gonna we're oh. jumping right into it. I love oh, that. Okay, okay but <laughs> before we do, well, we just like Morty was talking about. It. So you you are a musician and a songwriter yes. in your own right. You put out your own records, and like our guests, the the Zach and Kifo, the the Nelson boys, mm-hmm. you are your second generation rock and roll. I don't know, in the firmament of rock and roll. Yeah. You've grown up <laughs> yeah. in this world. I inherited a lot of guitars. <laughs> right. And the last time you were on the show, you asked a question about uh, about the use of your father's songs in commercials. Yeah. 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 Uh, about Not about that so much, but is about people giving you crap about it. Yeah, I just yeah. saw a post the other day that said, that, well, I guess Facebook has this thing now where instead of just a little comment, you can put it on a big red background, and it said, a Raisin Bran commercial? Like, I mean, why do you care? Yeah, why do you care? And you said your your initial uh, introduction to Harry was the point. Yeah, the point. Yeah, I think that's probably true for a lot of us. I think I still have that record, my original record with a comic book and everything in it. Has there ever been? I mean, maybe it's this is one of the things I wonder about the point. Stuff you hear when you're a kid Mm -hmm. is your stuff. Like, it's the best. Yeah, and I wonder, like, but to me. Now, as an adult, I look at the the point. And I think, how can there? Ever, that's got to be the best children's thing. It's not even. I listen to it all the time, and I don't feel like it's a children's thing at all. But it was such a. It was so appropriate for me as a child. But as an adult, 
every sound in it is so pleasing, whether it's the story or the music. Well, I think we were pretty spoiled in the yeah. 70s with Free to Be You and Me and Bugsy Malone <laughs> and The Point and, and, and Schoolhouse Rock and, and Bob Dro and all these things that were like, that were so musically rich and thick. And, and you know, my, my daughter grew up, she's nine now, and there were certain shows that had good music in them and I played her some old stuff but you know there's synthesizers and there's this and that and everything else and but back then you just had like 10 great musicians jamming out on these songs written by these brilliant songwriters that were like doing it as a side thing or just a project and uh and the point for me totally shaped the way that I write because if I write something and I I'm, I want it to touch my heart there are certain chords and certain feels that relate back to that that I go like, oh, that's the way it made me feel. Yeah. You know, the same way like a Beatles song or something like that can, if I'm writing and I'm just not feeling anything and then I feel this little tinge of like, oh, that's that nerve that I felt when I was six and I heard this. Yeah. So it's very influential. Cool, cool. Well, now, you, what, is your, what is your question for the Pop Oracle? Well, my question is that and it might be a little complicated, but... Be complicated. I know that, that, that he dealt with a lot of pain in his life. And, uh, and, you know, I've watched his documentary like a thousand times. And how do you... When I've gone through painful times in my life, people tell me to put it in my music. And I just can't. I, I, I don't have that ability to go like, I feel depressed, I'm going to write a depressed song. Usually it's the opposite. How is he able to... to channel his emotions into these songs that were so beautiful and and so moving and sometimes sad but sometimes very uplifting how did he take his struggle and turn it into the art that he made cool how did harry nelson take his struggle and turn it into the art that he made so now <clears throat> to engage the pop oracle you jordan zevon get to spin the wheel of eight Na, 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 oh, we love it. No whammies. Song number five, which is... I knew it was going to be five. It's Lifeline. <laughs> there you go. From the point. Oh, yeah. That's perfect. It is really perfect. <laughs> and that's going to be, be performed by Kifo Nelson. All right, we're doing it. Is there anybody else here? 
Lifeline performed beautifully by Kifo Nelson, the answer to Jordan Zevon's question, what allowed Harry to transform the pain in his life into such beautiful music? Yeah, into such beautiful songs and such sweet songs and everything like that. And that's a perfect example. Like, you know, the fantasy, the destiny, the the lifeline, it's, it's you know, he conveyed it through... I don't know, maybe he conveyed so much beauty through his music that it took away from some of the, the his daily existence. But uh, but I just remember watching his documentary and just thinking, God, somebody who's made this much beauty should be, you know, like Picasso, just, you know, eating baguettes and <laughs> drinking red wine on the an Italian coast. And, you know, it's just the way it is. It's just that, that some of the most brilliant artists are tortured yeah what what did you think uh what what made you pick that song to to be one of your songs to do uh well i'm just pretty comfortable with that song i like you know it's not too complicated on the piano something about my dad's music that he always kind of prided himself about he liked to write songs in as minimal of a setting as possible Mm -hmm. so if it was just scratching some lyrics on a napkin or just having a couple chords because he felt that there was a a lot of strength in that because you didn't have to rely on all this other stuff to make it to communicate it so i feel like that's just a really great song that um highlights that Mm because you can just play it just sounds good just as you know piano and voice and I feel like, um, of course, then he would get into the studio. And when he got into the studio, then he would bring in all, you know. But the, then you have space for all that yeah, stuff. Exactly. And yeah. he, he took the studio craft as another point of art, you know, just making the songs as good as they could be in the studio. But having both of those simultaneously, I think, contributes to your question, uh, to the answer to that question, where you think about vulnerability in songwriting is like the hardest thing. Well, Having a good sense of time is the hardest thing. Vulnerability yeah. is the second. No, no. But vulnerability is like, that's what it's like all about, right? It's all about how can you figure out how to touch those nerves mm-hmm. and how can you do it in such a way that, you know, a lot of musicians, like, that's a journey that's going to take a long time to figure that out. And it will be a process of first you have all sorts of things and you're shedding things and taking things away until you're down to just what you need. 
And I think that he was aware of that. And I think mm-hmm. that he would bring that into his songwriting process where he would just have an idea, a single idea, work with that and, and, and drill with that. Uh, with, with Lifeline in particular, you know, that first lyric, you know, down. He's got like three or four songs that hit mm-hmm. on down. Yeah. Like yeah. down, down, down. Down to yeah. the bottom, yeah. to the bottom He's, of a hole yeah. going and, down. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and I feel like that concept of falling down, that concept of dragging, whether it's life dragging you down or dragging yourself down or just, you know, your own demons, just like I feel like that's coming up. It comes up. Mm-hmm. It goes down. It comes up several times throughout his um, songwriting, you know, throughout his book. So I feel like that's not a coincidence either when you talk about opening up to pain and opening up to vulnerability. Yeah. That he was stewing on this idea for, you know, in expressing it in different works throughout his, you know, songs. So And he wasn't afraid to be consistent, to be like, this is my style. Like the same way you say starts with down and stuff like that. Like I find like all the time I'm writing about water and I have no idea why. Mm. I'm not like a boat captain or anything, but I just keep like using metaphors about water. And then I think I can't do that. I can't do that. It's too repetitive. But he made everything so original. But at the same time, he had his style and he, and you know uh, his songs when you hear them. They're just so unique and beautiful and lush and... Well, and and going to your question, I mean, this song is, I mean, it's it is it's almost like a, a metaphor for depression. Down, send me a lifeline. Send me a, li- a lifeline. Like, and yeah. this is from a kid's record. I yeah. mean, this. I remember when this song would come on, and what? it's falling into the bottomless pit. Yeah, literally falling. Into yeah. The so, pit. but and then you think of it in that in that image as sort of an adventure image, but the way he sings it. Mm-hmm you feel like it's an emotional thing. And another thing about that song that I think is so characteristic of his writing is that you have that... Oh, yes. You have that silly part to it. Yes. You know, in the midst of all of this bleakness, there's this part that just always makes people go, what's that about? (laughs) And (laughs) it's it's not... But it's it's a complete... Like, it doesn't take you out of it. It It is exactly the right... Yeah. thing to be there yeah. that and the sound of it is perfect it's not just a joke you can it's like the light it's mm-hmm. like the line coming down to you and, and i always felt like this song and think about your troubles from the point they're you yeah. know they're placed together on the record they're placed together in that mm-hmm. package and it kind of the it kind of goes with like the bubbles and think about your troubles like that that imagery in the record and stuff so and you do you present the the point yeah i do um we've done a couple of these concerts already uh where i do the whole record with uh zach actually narrated um for two of them so we do oh. we do the whole record with the narration um you know front to back and we are hoping to do another one this fall in in la so we we did the last one was last summer in san francisco Mm-hmm. And then we did one up in Ojai previous to that. And um, we're hoping to do another one soon. I'm hoping to do another one soon, like probably in the fall, three or four months from now. Excellent. Yeah. Jordan, do you ever play your father's music? Do you ever take it out? Or? Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I've had people suggest that I go on like a full-on tour, and and that never <laughs> seems quite right because, you know, my music is very different. It's Right. It's well, you have your like own thing. And yeah. this kind of stuff. You have your, um, you both have your own thing. Yeah, yeah. But but I do, I mean, I have the ability to sound just like my dad. So in the occasional, like, tribute show, Judd Apatow did a thing at Largo, and I, you know, went and did my my little Lawyer's Guns and Money or whatever song I did with the dad imitation. But <laughs> But then, of course, Jackson went, it's kind of getting enough with that. <laughs> like, okay, so the next time it came out, I'm like, 
I'll do my version of the song. Thanks. <laughs> but, you know, Jackson's a stickler for that stuff. When, when Jackson tells you to cool it, I guess you cool it. Yeah, it's a little intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, we're, talk, we're not talking about Andrew Jackson. We're talking about Jackson, Jackson Brown. Brown, yes. Okay. <laughs> Some people don't, might not know. You never know. Yeah. So No, I know Jack. He, um, he actually contributed to the high school up in Ohio where we did this point show. He has a long relationship with that school back in the day. I think uh, maybe some family member of his went to my same high school. So he, I kind of know him from back in the day a little bit. But yeah. oh. He's an incredibly giving person, I must say. Like, I mean, I don't want to paint this bad picture. He was giving me some constructive criticism. He'd it's only good. seen me do that. Yeah, and I think he was worried that I did that all the time. Yeah. Right. But um, the guitar that Rick played on uh, on uh, Perfect World was uh, Perfect Day. Perfect Day. Sorry. sorry. On Perfect Day was uh, Jackson found out that I've always wanted a Martin, and he showed up at my apartment at like one o'clock in the morning when Rick and some other friends were there and said, "Yeah, I had this in storage, and if you want it, then." Mm. So he's just like very giving, caring guy. <laughs> I need to describe what just happened in the room while you were talking. The lights were out above you, and then as you started, as you talked about Jackson Brown, like the nicer the things you said, the brighter they got. <laughs> the light just, yeah, <laughs> the light yeah. just came on. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Radio Eight Ball. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher, and check out our website and the links provided for info about past and future shows on the Radio 8 blog, our ongoing Patreon campaign, and where you can download our Radio 8 Ball app that allows you to engage the Pop Oracle directly in the form of every song ever performed in the history of Radio 8 Ball. I hope today's musical divination brings and brought the sync to you wherever you are. And until next time... I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. It's the Radio 8 Ball Show. It's a good show! <laughs>